Good morning, church family, those that are here and those that are watching online. Praise God. I, if you're here today and you were waiting to hear Mark's part four of Ruth, he assured me to let you know that he will be doing that next Sunday. He had to uh, make a quick trip, and so I found it but a privilege and an honor to be able to share my heart with you today. And we're going to talk about having a sound mind. How's that? And uh, in these last days, we know that uh, things are going crazy. And as a believer, we need to be locked in on what God wants for us and for our lives and according to the Word of God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we start. Father God, we count it better privilege. We come to you again in the name of Jesus, thanking you, Father God, for this day. We thank you for the anointing upon your Word, thanking you, Father God, that everything that is said and done would bring honor and glory to you. Thanking you, Heavenly Father, that we believe that we have attentive ears and receptive hearts that we will receive from you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I would like to talk about that sound mind. And as I was meditating on that for the last uh, couple days, uh, I got to meet with a dear brother of ours, uh, Glenn Downing who is doing well, all to the glory of God, by the way. But most of you probably know Glenn was a pilot. So I asked him, I said, Glenn, as a pilot, how important was it to have a sound, clear mind? And he said, brother, <laughs> you absolutely have to know exactly what you're doing at all times because it has grave consequences. And so he said that uh, there are two types of pilots. There's visual rated and there's instrument rated. Now, a visual rated pilot has to fly by what they see or what they sense, their sense around, around them. And also, as a visual pilot, they cannot fly at night. And they also cannot fly through storms because of the simple fact that they can't go through it. They, can't, they can only go and fly by what they see. You know, there's many Christians in life that are walking through life, by sight. They're a visual Christian. And God is calling us to go up higher. He's wanting us to be instrument rated. And an instrument rated pilot, Glenn assured me that all you would have to do was to continually keep your eye on your instrument. On, because that will instruct you. Even because he said there are times, even as a, he was a fighter pilot. And even as times that when you think you see something or sense something or should be doing something. My instrument told me something different because he said, your senses will lie to you. Do you know that your senses can lie to you too? I'm so sorry. I'll get this. This is new to me. Your senses will lie to you. My senses will lie to me. That's why we need to know what this says. And Glenn told me that he would always have his map, his guidance, his instrument rating from that. And we too can have the very same thing. We have God's word. And we don't have to rely upon what our senses tell us because they can get us in trouble. So we need to be instrument rated Christians, which is governed by God's word in every realm and walk of life. So... What I want us to do is to get into what Christians need to do to have a sound mind. 
First thing that I see that troubles a lot of Christians, is this echoing for everybody? Let me try and get this. Is that better? Okay. To have a sound mind as a Christian, we need to be able to forgive and to forget. There's many in the body of Christ that are bound to a lot of things. All right? But the first thing that I wanted to is, is reading from 2 Timothy. I apologize. 2 Timothy 1.7. Can we go to that one? It says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven, of cringing or fawning fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and a calm, well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. We need to be able to do that. And as Christians, the first thing we're going to have to do is to be able to forgive and to forget. Philippians chapter 3, starting here in verse 13, it says, I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own. I want you to notice, first of all, Paul wrote this to and said, Father, and he said that I have not uh, captured and made it my own yet. But the one thing that I do, did you notice he had to do something? It wasn't God doing something. He said, I have to do. Now, I want you to know Saul, who became Paul when he wrote this. First of all, he was in jail. And secondly of all, he was the person who was going around and arresting and persecuting and even putting Christians to death. And he said, the one thing that I have to do is to forget. And if Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said that as, a, as in his own life, he needed to forget something, I guarantee you, we as believers, there are some things that we need to forget too. Because it says, one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead of me. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize, which is God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. You see, as Christians, if we are still attached to our past, and there are a lot of Christians who are, if they're attached to their past, he said we must forget and reach forward. But you notice something? My reach is limited. Why? I'm still attached to my past. But if I can let go of my past and forget and then reach forward, all of a sudden, my reach is unlimited. And that's what God is wanting to do through each and every one of our lives. But we're going to need to forget, forgive, and then also forget some things, right? So I'm asking you, what is holding you? What is holding you back in your life? What is holding you from becoming all that God has desired for you to be. So I want you to notice, first of all, he said that our walk must be upward to the high calling, to the prize. That's the prize that's before us, right? So then rereading verse 14 again, he says, I press on towards the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. So we have a prize. We, which is upward. We also have a walk which is inward, which is convictions. And then thirdly, we must uh, walk and do what is right. And uh, so that is covering every area of our life. 
So the next verse here, let's read 16. Could we? Only let us hold true what we have already attained and walk and order our lives by that. We must be able to do all of those. And how do we do it? By forgiving and forgetting. I'm so sorry. Could we go to Mark chapter 11? Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Why is it important that we have a sound mind? And when you stand praying, what? Forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father, which is also in heaven, may forgive you and forgive your trespasses. Everybody says, well, I know what ought. That's an offense. Yeah, that's true. But maybe a lot of people also doesn't, don't know that ought is a unit of measurement. If I were to take a, a blank piece of white paper and take a ballpoint pen and press straight down on it, that ink mark that it leaves is measured in aughts. That point from a ballpoint pen measures six aughts in diameter. So it's not going to take much in our lives. And God is telling us for what purpose? So that we can be receiving God's blessings in an every realm and walk of life. So we need to forgive and we need to forget. But here's another thing that I, I believe that holds a lot of Christians back is fear. And I would like to share this very uh, familiar passage of scripture from Mark chapter four. And uh, I, hopefully I'm gonna break it down and, and bring some things to light to you that uh, maybe you haven't thought of before. Let's start in verse 35. On that same day when evening had come, well, first of all, when you do a little study, you'll find out that Jesus had just spent a long day teaching the parable of the sower in the seed. When evening had come, well, evening to the Jews meant that it was around 6 p.m. because they considered the evening to, to come from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. So it's a pretty late day. I also want you to know that Jesus was in Capernaum when this had taken place. Why is that important? Because what we're going to see is Jesus then sees something uh, pertaining to an individual, and he's going to go to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee, help an individual, and come right back to Capernaum the very following day. Why was it so important? He said, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Why is that important? That's a word from the Lord. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. I'll be truthful with you. That should have been enough for the disciples right then and there. We're going over because Jesus said we're going over, right? So they believed that they were going to the other side when they got into the boat, but something changed. What was it that changed their thought process? Verse 36. Now, when he had left the multitude, he took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose. You think, hmm, windstorm, okay. So they're, they're professional fishermen. They had encountered storms before. They knew what to do in the midst of a storm. Some of your translations will tell you of hurricane proportions. Well, for those of you that may not know, the Sea of Galilee was eight miles wide at its widest point and 13 miles long. But 
in March of 1992, recorded in modern history, there were 10-foot waves of a storm that were crashing into the villages on the Sea of Galilee. I don't know about you, but I know there's been times that I've been at the ocean and you see a four or five foot wave. They're always telling everybody what? Out of the water, out of the water, right? 10 foot waves that we know of for sure. How big were they back then? I can't really say, but we know it was a great windstorm. And it says the waves were beating into the boat. This account's also found in Luke chapter eight and Matthew chapter eight. And in both of those accounts, it says the waves were coming over the boat. Pretty significant storm, pretty significant event. And for disciples who were professionals who encountered situations like this all the time. So what was Jesus doing? Verse 38, but he was in the stern of the ship asleep on a pillow. Now you think about peace. You think about being able to deal with the situation. The disciples were beside themselves, and Jesus is doing what? He's asleep. You know why? He had a sound mind that wasn't moved by the circumstances around him. You and I need to be so locked in on what God has promised from his word that the situations and circumstances around, they're real. They're real. But we need to know that what this says is of great importance. Amen? It's just like uh, we need to know that that word is something that God is desiring for all of our lives and will even supersede circumstances in life when we say, this is what your word says. In a natural realm, let me use it this way. The law of gravity. If I were to jump off of this platform right now, everybody in here knows what's going to happen to me. I'm going down, right? It's a law of gravity. Well, talking with Glenn, that same thing happens in aviation. The law of gravity has never changed, but there's another law. It's called the law of thrust and lift that will supersede the law of gravity, which allows an aircraft to lift up and to fly over things. Do you know that in life, if we become instrument rated with God according to the word of God, that it will carry us up and not only to the storms or through the storms, but we can rise above the storms of life because his promise of his word says so. But Jesus, here he is, he's asleep. And they woke him and said to him, hey, what's going on? No, they didn't. They said, master, do you not care that we're perishing? Let me ask you this. They thought they were going to the other side because they got in the boat. Who now told them they were perishing? It wasn't the Lord. What was tell- who, who told them that they were perishing? Their own sense reasoning took over. And they said to him, don't you care that we're perishing? He arose and said, oh, guys, doing a good job bailing the boat. No, he didn't say that, did he? He he arose and it says here he did what? He rebuked the wind. Well, first of all, I want you to know that when Jesus was awoke, he saw the boat filling up. He could hear the wind. He could see the waves crashing over. He saw all those things too. But what happened with Jesus, his thinking and his sound mind prevailed over what he was experiencing. We too need to be so engaged with God that our attitude is going to stay with what the word says, right? 
And uh, I think when the disciples woke him up, I think they were hoping maybe that Jesus would be as disturbed as they were, but he wasn't because his skill prevailed, his sound mind. And that's what he's calling us to also. Verse uh, 40, and he said to them, why are you so fearful? He's other, in other words, he's saying, God, this shouldn't have been bothering you. I told you we were going to the other side. And that should have been a word from the Lord enough, but yet they were fearful. And he said to them, how is it that you have no faith? I want you to know the enemy can't adjust you unless you're allowing him to. We need to be believing what God's word says and your faith will keep you from changing in life. So what will sound mind do for an individual? Well, let's go ahead and continually pick this story up here in chapter five, the next verse, starting in, in verse one. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Well, first of all, I want you to know where they had left in Capernaum was Jewish region. They've now sailed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, encountered a very significant storm, and they come immediately to the land of the Gadarenes. This isn't, this isn't Jewish territory. This is now Gentile. These are all Gentiles that lived on this, this side of the sea, and they, they came and they encountered an individual. And immediately they, there he met him out of the tomb, a man with an unclean spirit. Verse 3. who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. I want you to see, first of all, what does Satan do for this individual? Satan had him living among the tombs. Satan had him to where he was even breaking chains because he was so demonically possessed. He would cut himself. He had lost his sanity and he had no self-control. The Bible tells us in some of the other, he, he was running around without any clothes. He was naked. He had no family, and he no, had no friends. That's what Satan did for him. But I want you to see here now in, the, in the verse four, because he had often been bound with chains and shackles, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken into pieces, neither could anyone tame him. What did society do for him? Society tried to restrain him. Society tried to isolate him. Society was unable to change him and just basically put him out on his own. But I want you to know a man who was out of his mind had an encounter. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And because of time, we're gonna skip over, but I want you to know that in these next couple verses, it says that when he saw Jesus, he immediately ran to him and fell down and worshiped him. And because of that, the man was set free. Let's pick it up here in verse 15. And they came to, and they came to Jesus and looked intently and searching at the man who had been demonically sitting there, now clothed and in his what? Right mind. One encounter with Jesus will take everything from someone who's completely lost it to in their right mind. All right, 
He was clothed and in his right mind. And the man who had had the legion of demons and they were seized him with alarm and they were now struck with fear. Isn't it amazing how society dealt with an individual who was crazy running around naked was okay, but now that he's clothed and in his right mind, they're what? They're fearful. Do you know that people in the world are fearful of Christians? They're fearful of you. It's not because of who you are. It's because of the spirit that's in you. It's because of the living God that's in you. And we have so much to do for the body of Christ. Now he's in his right mind, right? Verse 16, and those who had had been seen related the full what happened to the man possessed by demons and to the hogs. Verse 17, and then they begged Jesus to leave their neighborhood. Well, why is it that Jesus left Capernaum traveled across the Sea of Galilee and now has encountered one individual who's now free and sitting clothed in his right mind. Verse 18, they begged Jesus to leave. And when they had stepped into the boat, the man who had been controlled by the unclean spirits kept begging him that he might go with him. When I read this, it kind of puzzled me for a minute because we're told throughout the Bible, deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? Follow me. Now we have an individual who's exactly wanting to do that, and Jesus tells him what? No. No. All right. And uh, now verse uh, 19. But Jesus refused to permit him but said to him, go home to your own family and to your relatives and to your friends and bring back word to them of how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had sympathy on you and mercy on you. Jesus tells an individual, no, go back. Verse 20, and he departed and began to publicly proclaim in Decapolis, the region of the 10 cities, how much God had done for him. And all the people were astonished and marveled. You know what's interesting about this? It just says here, he told him to go back. The capitalist. The capitalist was a 10 village city on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, all Gentile region area. What we may, you may not know is that Peter, when he received a revelation from God in Acts chapter 10. Do you remember when he went to a man by the name of Cornelius' house? And he says, I've now perceived that this gospel, this gospel message was to be for the Gentiles. Remember how he fell on us back at the beginning? All Bibles, almost all Bible scholars say that that was nearly 10 years after Pentecost. Well, if it was 10 years before that gospel message began to reach the Gentiles, how was it then in Acts chapter 9, when Saul had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, he was on his way to Damascus for what purpose? He had papers. He was going to arrest Christians and imprison them, and some of them lost their life, right? How did they hear the gospel message when Peter and the other disciples didn't even know that that message was for the Gentiles. I can't prove this, but I believe Jesus sent this man who was a maniac 
and turned him into a missionary and sent him back to his own people. And it says that he went, and I will read it again, and he departed and began to publicly proclaim in Decapolis and to all the region of the 10 cities how much God had done for him and all the people were astonished and amazed. I believe that he took that gospel message and he brought a sound mind and was enabling people to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus got into a boat knowing he was going to the other side. And I believe the reason that he got there, I can't prove it, but the scripture says that this man would cry out day and night from the mountains. Jesus is on the eastern shore. He's on the western shore. How many have ever been on a, down by a lake or maybe perhaps in, and there's a restaurant or other houses on the other side of the lake and it's amazing to you how you could hear the conversation from people that are on the other side of the lake? I believe that Jesus heard this man crying out day and night and he said, boys, get in the boat. We've got something to do on the other side. And for that very purpose, he went over and set one man free. And by setting that man free, who now is in his right sound mind, took that gospel message to a whole 10 other cities and villages. And I believe the gospel message was spread that way. How many of you know that God is wanting each and every one of us, you and me, to be able to still take that same message to people. And we're gonna need to have a sound mind. We're gonna need to have a sound mind in order to deal with the things that are going on in this world. I got one last passage of scripture as the musicians get ready to come up here. Isaiah 43, we're gonna start here in verse 25. I, even I, who blots out and cancels your transgressions for my sake, <clears throat> and I will not remember your sins. That word blot out out of the Hebrew means to utterly wipe away, to erase, or to abolish. And I want you to notice God said, I will not remember. If God says, I will not remember, and he's skilled in his thought process, you and I need to apply that same when he says, I will not remember, well, guess what? We don't need to remember either. We don't need to be linked to our past. We need to let it go and then press forward and reach to the high calling of God. And then our reach becomes unlimited, right? And he says here, verse 26, but put me in remembrance. Remind me of your merits. Let us plead and argue together. Set forth your case that you might be justified and proved right. Put me in remembrance means to contend together. Father God, I'm coming to you right now, and no matter what it may be, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, today should be your day. Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm contending with, I'm asking you, Lord, to come into my life and Father God, make my life anew. Create in me a new heart. 
Let me be accepted into your kingdom of God as a child of God. And guess what? He's going to do it. You may say, but my mind, my thought process is so confused. I don't seem like I have a sound mind. Well, guess what? God is wanting each and every one of us to have that sound mind. He's saying, come and just ask. And he will willingly be wanting to do that. Our father, skillful with his memory, he's wanting you and I to be that same skillful with our, our memory and in every realm and walk of life. Amen? Amen. If you've not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, let today be the day. Come forward. I would love to pray with you. Others would. And if you're here today and say, I feel like my mind and my thought process is so scattered. I, I would like for an agreement in prayer concerning my thought life. I, please come forward that. Uh, many will be willing and, and loving to, to pray with you. Amen. But as we, we do that, um, we got an amazing worship team here. We do. I asked them to sing a song. It's meant a lot to me. And some of them only heard it for the first time last night. Lindsay's going to sing it. So enter into worship and think about the words of this song. Amen. Amen.